I'm here with the winner, Derek Lewis. Derek, why'd you take your pants off? My balls are hot. I thought we had to have all the answers right now. And now? I'm kind of liking the fact that I don't. If one of us goes to war, we all go to war. Welcome back to Loving the Fighter. I'm your host, Charles DeGisco, and it is great to be back here with all of you. Uh, apologize for last week. Just a lot going on. Wasn't able to get to the podcast. And then um, I didn't do a poll this week because I wanted to actually chat about last week's or the the last episode I did. So that was the one I was talking about prenups. And as I watched it back, I think the point I was making was fine. That's not really what I'm here to talk about. But I noticed that when it comes to uh, the dating portion of the podcast, there's just it doesn't it's not as smooth. Right. And some of that is I want to make sure I don't say anything that's like too brash or uh, what some people might find offensive, even if I believe it to be true. But at the same time, I think I could speak intelligently to a lot of different subjects. Right. Oh, I shouldn't say a lot. A few different subjects. But there's such a big gap between the MMA analysis I provide and then the dating analysis. So if I had to like sum up that entire first 15 minutes of the podcast, it would be, hey, you should get a prenup because at the least it protects you from everything you had before the marriage. And uh, really it means nothing unless you need it. So that's that, right? But the in-depth analysis that goes into it, um, you know, it almost sounds like I'm just reading an article. So I'm going to, I'm going to make that part better. I'm going to improve that, especially when I'm speaking to something that I might not know as well as MMA, which besides MMA is everything, right? So just something that I, I watched back, I noticed it and I wanted to, to chat about it. The other thing is this episode is going to be a little bit shorter. Um, I just want to get into one topic that's MMA related, and that is Israel Adesanya versus Paulo Costa and Izzy's performance really against Costa. So the biggest thing I've seen in that fight, and I know I'm coming in two weeks late, but there's a couple, a lot of analysts have missed this, right? They talked about how, well, if you're Costa, you just have to, you have to take one to get one, right? You have to push him up against the cage. You have to pressure him. You just got to kind of let those hands fly. And I think that actually takes a little bit of credit away from Paul Costa. When you saw him fight Uriah Hall, you saw him get cracked quite a bit, but he kept coming forward, but he was still using feints. He was still creating openings for himself. That would, as soon as Uriah Hall would cover up, he would be able to start ripping to the body. Costa deserves some credit because he genuinely was able to create openings. He just, he he fights as if he's a brawler and as if he has you know just reckless abandon. But he actually does have a technical striking skill in that he will put pressure on you and use feints and he'll create openings so that he could then hit you the way he wants to. Right? It's rudimentary for sure, but he's not just some sloppy brawler who's just throwing all caution to the wind. He's a pressure fighter who looks to create openings, and when he does, that's when he finds his success. When he can't create those openings, which you would see occasionally in that Uriah Hall fight, but really more so in this recent fight with Israel Adesanya, you recognize that he is a striker that depends on his ability to create those openings, and he's not that wild guy who just bites down and gets tuned up, or, or just takes one to throw one, right? In this level of the game, I think everybody would be surprised at how technically astute Polo Costa is. And I say all of that because you had so many folks who were just like, ah, oh, just pressure him and throw punches. It's just, he couldn't do it. And that's how good Israel Adesanya is, right? It's like when people say, oh, you just got to take him down. Israel Adesanya's control of the range while simultaneously hitting you is unlike anything I've ever seen in MMA. 
you have the uh, fantastic explosiveness and creativity from a guy like Anderson Silva or John Jones. You have that high-level technical striking from a Valentina Shevchenko or Yoana Jacek, right? So there's all these fighters that you see that are like, oh, wow, that amazing power from Amanda Nunes or uh, Francis Ngannou. I mean, there's so many things you see, you're like, wow, that is a threat, right? All of these different things that combine to, to create a very high-level striker in MMA. Conor McGregor's timing and, 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 and accuracy. But Israel Adesanya just brings something different to the table. And I think people need to start recognizing that. He's not just kickboxing in there. He's completely changing the way strike, striking is interpreted in MMA. Because he's controlling the range, right? But he's not just backing up and avoiding getting hit. In that range control, he's hitting you as you're starting to do something, right? So the second that you think you're going to be like, all right, here we go, boom, he's already hitting you. And now you have to reset, right? So as soon as you go to take a step, you get hit, reset. And he does that so much that he never really lets people put pressure on him. Kelvin Gastelum had the most success. And I think a lot of that was because he mixed it up and he did throw with reckless advantage. He just got in his face. He shot takedowns. He threw hard one-twos. Gastelum is very, very quick. So if you put enough pressure on somebody, you can find success that way. However, everybody else who's tried to really strike with him, uh, Whitaker, Costa, Yoel, not so much because that was just a weird fight. But these are guys who are incredibly talented, who have the skills to beat just about anybody in the world. But you're not going to do it if you try to kickbox with Israel Adesanya. And Whitaker, I believe, is a more technical striker than... Actually, maybe the, the second best striker in that middleweight division. And we kind of saw what happened when he when he fought Izzy. You know, he landed a couple of jabs, but for the most part, he just got picked apart. And it would be irresponsible to just say, like I said before, that Costa just had to rush in and, and put it on him. Because there was just no way he was going to be able to do that. It... it Costa is a much more capable striker than people realize. And as I say that, it just highlights how much better Israel Adesanya is than anybody else in that division. Marvin Vittori had some success with Israel Adesanya, and I think that natural style of a lot of pressure, and he's kind of not afraid to get hit, and he has all these funky movements. But that was a different Israel Adesanya, even in just three years, two years. I mean, the development that Izzy has had has, has been just out of this world. I mean, truly, truly out of this world. He's just so good. And I don't think people are giving him enough credit. I don't even think they really understand what he's doing, right? Luke Thomas, of course, does. He's probably the best analyst in the game. But I've seen a lot of the journalists and they're just like, oh, it's going to be a scrap. Nah, they, they just, it's going to take somebody who is similar to Gaslam, who's quick, explosive, can wrestle, and will wrestle. That's the other thing, right? Robert Whitaker has the capability to wrestle, but you got to do, got to mix it up. Because if you think you're just going to have a straight striking match with this guy, it's, it's never going to work out. I mean, I shouldn't say never, but I'm really speaking absolutes here because what we saw him do to Paulo Costa after all of the buildup was truly remarkable. So let's get into that, right? As Costa would come forward, Israel Adesanya was always angling a little bit, right? So he would just feint, a lot of shoulder movement, a lot of hip movement, and then he would adjust his positioning. Now, he would always adjust it just enough so that when Costa would make his adjustment, boom, he would be getting leg kicked. If Costa was ready for that leg kick and he adjusted enough and he squared back up with him, bam, Izzy would jab him. So every time he was moving, every time Costa thought about doing something, Israel already had an angle on him and was a step ahead. Therefore, before Costa makes that adjustment, he's got to at least get even with him, right? So if you look at it at like a numerical value, Izzy was always plus one. 
Costa spent the entire fight just getting to neutral, just getting to zero before he could, he could go up plus one. Making sense, right? He could not do anything unless he got at least on even ground. And you really saw that when he would rush in and he would just kind of try to, to make something happen. And he couldn't really keep Izzy there because Izzy was already angling off. If Costa started to get a little bit closer in that pursuit, as Izzy was backing up, he would switch his stance. So now if Israel, if, if Costa was pursuing Izzy and, and he's putting it on him and he's chasing that left hand, which is the jab hand, and then Izzy switches stance, now he's running right into that rear hand, right? Now he's running into the power hand. So Costa has to adjust his stance. He's got to angle over so he doesn't go to that power side. And as he would do that, Izzy would then angle off that opposite way. I mean, it was truly a remarkable performance. And it was, it's really quite like the matadors in Spain avoiding the bull. Right? A lot of misdirection, a lot of angles, a lot of like letting Costa get close, but confusing him just enough or that slight hesitation, boom, that's the opening. Right? If anybody else tried to do that, they wouldn't be able to react quick enough. It's just Izzy has seen so much of this that MMA is relatively, compared to high-level kickboxing or boxing, it's not that high-level striking. I mean, you have a couple guys who are very capable and who, and who, and who could really do something, but for the most part, you're an MMA fighter because you're good at everything. You're not amazing at any one thing. And you can get 80% of the skills in high-level MMA, I think, than you can in the individual sport, whether it's jujitsu or wrestling or boxing, kickboxing. You can get about 80% of the way there. But you're likely never going to be in that top 20% or that top 10%, let alone the top five or the greatest of all time. You can get that out of your head um, if you start in MMA and you, you go to those other sports because it's different. You have to account for so many different things. A feint in boxing is different than a feint in kickboxing, which is different than a feint in wrestling. And MMA, you have to understand all three of those, right? You have to be ready for that shoulder feint, that leg kick feint, the hip switch, the level change, all these different things that affect how you throw your punches. So when you, I say that, because when then you engage with somebody who was in that top 1% in kickboxing, or maybe let's say he was he was in a top, a, a top 10% even, he's significantly better than the very best MMA strikers because he's bringing a whole different level of kickboxing in that we saw in those moments I would just explain. He was always angling over for the leg kick. He would just step out. If Costa didn't adjust, boom, he would fire the leg kick. You eat a couple of those, you're okay. You eat too many, now all of a sudden you can't put weight on that and you can't really fight your fight because you're so hesitant about getting those kicks, right? Each one hurts more than the next. When he would make the adjustment, bam, he was getting jabbed. Couldn't do anything about it, right? So now he knows that if I adjust, I'm going to get punched. If I don't adjust, I'm going to get kicked. If I stay too far away, I can't do any offense. So let me pressure him in. Let me do something, right? Let me just get in close and make this ugly. Well, he couldn't do that because he couldn't read Israel's stance switching, his the way he would angle off. And when he would angle off, he would actually end up putting Costa up against the cage. So Costa now has to really react. He's got to get out of there. So as Israel Adesanya positions himself away from the conflict, he puts himself in a position for success. Therefore, that Costa, as he was putting all that effort in to get in that position of success, he's now on the receiving end of a bad position. So he's got to get out of there. So he closes all the distance. He puts in all this energy only to have Izzy reverse it on him. And then he's the one backing up to reset. And those constant resets that Israel Adesanya will make you do is what's going to take away from your ability to implement any meaningful offense. And when people just try to strike with him, they just they come up so short. You've got to mix it up. You really got to mix it up. Even Yuval Romero, he ate a lot of leg kicks. And he's built like steel, so it's a little bit different. But 
he wasn't really able to put any meaningful offense in. There was the first round, uh, is he kind of just was like, all right, fuck it, I'm going to jab this guy and come forward. And Yoel cracked him with that like weird overhand right, kind of threw it like a baseball. And then for the most part, he couldn't really do anything, or maybe he chose not to. When he did go for the takedown, he was shooting from so far away. Israel Asani was able to get back up. That was significant. And he just, Izzy did the same thing to him, but because Yoel wouldn't really play that game, it wasn't as apparent. What he did to Costa, because Costa was trying to trying to turn it in his favor, that was was so, so impressive. And I'm not going to say that Izzy, Israel Adesanya is right now the greatest of all time in the middleweight division or, or one of the best fighters ever. But I will tell you that was one of the most impressive performances I have between two high-level guys. The Whitaker one, yes, that was impressive, but you really got to see the details here of a guy who was big, strong, athletic, and explosive, a very talented, undefeated MMA fighter who came across a guy who was so many levels above him. It really made Costa look like he had never fought before. And by the way, Costa very well could be the second best middleweight in that division. I just, the gap is so high. It's going to, I'm telling you, the way to beat Izzy is you got to make it super ugly and basically take risks. And all that does is give you a chance, right? That's not the assumption like, oh, if you do that, you'll win. No, no, no. That just kind of maybe gives you a chance, but I can tell you, you won't beat him at range. It's going to take another Israel Adesanya to beat him in range. And, you know, there's talk of him going up to fight John Jones, but truly a, a, just a remarkable performance in every single sense of the word. And I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I was watching it. I started to be able to call the leg kicks. Literally, you could ask Tone, Karen, Drew, the whole squad. I was calling them out, but it didn't matter because if I knew them, Costa knew them. And he couldn't do anything about them. Because it's it's like high-level jujitsu, right? You're going with somebody like, wow, I know what he's doing and I just can't quite stop it. It's a really shitty feeling. We saw that in kickboxing, in MMA, when there's so many more variables than just jujitsu, right? There's wrestling, there's punches, there's kicks, there's clinching. There's all these different things that we, that could have somehow entered into the equation. And Israel Adesanya put himself in a position so that none of it mattered and he was literally just able to do his thing. And... Uh, very, very remarkable performance. And I can tell you guys, I'm a huge Izzy fan, and I'm going to talk about that in a second here to follow up. But definitely something that I think everybody could take into their game and really start evolving. Just that pace, that cadence, that positioning, putting yourself in a position for success, right? I talk about it with John Jones, how he always puts himself in a position for success, and he doesn't always take it, right? Especially these last few fights. Israel Asanya puts himself in positions for success and has success, the best success quite frankly. And he's only getting better too. Izzy is getting so much better every time he fights. And if I'm him, I'm staying active. Keep fighting these middleweights. Stay, just stay on it. Maybe Cannoneer is the next guy. I think that'd be an intriguing fight. But again, I think he's going to run into the same problems that, that Costa had. There's some talk of um, maybe Whitaker getting a rematch. I think Whitaker would have to fight very different. But at its core, Stay active because you're improving so much every time you fight. There's a benefit to staying active. It's not like, oh, you know, you won the division now. Let's be real selective with who we fight. And, you know, it's your it's your kind of retirement path. This is like warm up for you because eventually you're going to go to 205 and the John Jones fight is there. And that, they, they're saying that's the one to make. But, I mean, Adesanya, really just stay active and keep doing what you're doing. And I am such a big fan of Izzy, right? One, he likes anime, Dragon Ball Z. That's my guy. Um, two, I love the way he fights. 
keeps his hands up. He actually fights from a very normal stance. It's, his hands are up. He's just got good defense. He blocks well. I, I've always been a big fan of blocking in MMA just because it's not that easy to do, right? Small gloves. It makes it a little bit more difficult. Um, uses a lot of jabs, a lot of light kicks, and he really, he just, I just like his style. I, I, I really appreciate what he does in the sport. So much so that I definitely have a bias, right? Because at the end of this fight, he made a couple of gestures that were uh, suggestive, we'll say. You like kind of got behind Costa after he knocked him out and then was like dry humping him. And then he came over to Costa's corner and said, I'll jizz on all of you guys, right? So a little lewd and graphic for sure. Not going to lie to you, it didn't bother me. And it was only then that I occurred. I was like, wow, like if Colby Covington did that, I would have gone ballistic. I would have gone ballistic. I fully admit that. Um, if Conor McGregor did that, John Jones did that, people would lose their minds. They would lose their minds. And, you know, I, I definitely admit that bias and that that hypocrisy. And I always try, like, especially in politics, but really in anything, like, I really try to fucking nip that shit in the bud because I think it's unfair and there's just no reason for it. And uh, I will tell you that, that I was like, wow, you know, that's pretty shitty. And it once I thought about it as if, like, a guy, again, like Colby Covington did that, I mean, journals would have a field day. Now... I, like I said, I'll admit my my bias and hypocrisy on that. And I'll definitely, that's something I'm like working on just in general. Something we need to get rid of. But holy shit, dude. MMA Twitter, all I saw was two things. Either journalists saying, nah, it's no big deal. Which is laughable, considering that, you know, just a couple of days prior, they would freak out if Colby Covington said, I'm, you know, I support President Trump. But the other one was that they there was these posts of people saying, um, if you have a problem with what Izzy did, but not a problem with what Kobe did, like all these MMA fans who are constantly blowing me up, then you're part of the problem. And um, I didn't see any of that, right? I, I really saw across the board, the people who had an issue with it, with what Izzy had done, didn't really seem to be in any single MMA camp, right? It'd be easy to be like, oh, they're all, they're all racist and they're all Trump supporters. But there wasn't, it was kind of like, oh, that was shitty. You know what I mean? And I think that the general consensus was, and again, I'm an Izzy fan, and I don't think he should be punished for it, you know, or anything like that. But it's just like, eh, that was shitty. I prefer if he didn't do that. But there was none of these people who were like, like, it was like that weird thing that people do on Twitter where they pretend that there's this outrage over something that, oh, yeah, well, if you're mad at this, then you're, you know, like they're kind of calling people out on hypocrisy when nobody's actually saying that. It's just kind of like what they're posting about. Um, Twitter, look, Twitter's a weird fucking place, especially right now with just how odd things are. Um, I, I'm not good at it. I don't like it. But when I see shit like that, I'm just like, man, can we just do a little bit better? Just a little bit better from everybody, you know? Um, because at the end of the day, if, and we can all agree, even the most biased fucking journalists would agree that if somebody not named Israel Adesanya did those things, it would be a huge deal. If after beating somebody in ping pong, you dry hump them, you would get arrested, probably banned from the sport. If beating somebody a football game, you did those things, you would be dragged through the mud. It would be a fucking disaster. Maybe you do get suspended. I don't know. If you do those things in MMA, it really just depends who you are because there might be no repercussions whatsoever. And of course, one is a fist fight and the other one is a, is it like a, a table tennis game. The other one's a contact sport. But as you see, like, yeah, that's a big fucking deal, right? Like, I mean, I'm making it, I mean, I'm not really making a big deal out of it because again, I, I like Izzy. I think he's a solid citizen and, you know, maybe he got caught up in the moment. But yeah, it would be okay to be like, hey, amazing performance, tremendous fighter, good person, piece of shit thing to do. Right? Not that hard. 
not that hard. It doesn't mean I, I like Izzy any less. It just means like, yeah, maybe next time you shut somebody up, you just kind of let your actions speak for them. And you could do that cool machine gun thing you did. I thought that was awesome. Like just, you know, clearly he could do no wrong in my book, except for this seemed kind of crappy, right? Kind of crappy. So I think, you know, MMA media in general, so MMA fans tend to be quite, quite crappy. Um, but I'll tell you like MMA media is fucking shitty too, man. They just like so much bias and hypocrisy from what's supposed to be a, you know, like there's just no journalistic integrity. I think that's really what I'm getting at. Um, and it's one thing as a fan for me to be like, you know, recognizing like, oh man, I, I definitely have a double standard here, but it's a whole other thing for people to be writing about it to their audiences and platforms. And, and, you know, I think, uh, not admitting that they have a, they have that issue. Um, but with that said, it was, it was an awesome performance. I apologize for being late. I watched the fights last weekend, but nothing too, too notable. It wasn't really a stacked card. Juliana Pena fought Jermaine Duranamy. Great fight. Uh, she ended up getting choked unconscious, but it was actually very competitive. And, you know, it was a big step up for Pena. I hope she comes back. I really believe that she has what it takes to become <clears throat> a title challenger at the least. You know, the division's quite light and she's very talented. But you got to stay active. And, and her big issue has been she just hasn't been active enough, especially since she won the Ultimate Fighter. She just is, is always coming back after layoffs and fighting really tough individuals. And it's just, it's hard to do that. You know, maybe you win one, maybe you lose one, which is what we're seeing right now. But if you're active, I think you get that momentum and continue to improve. And, and she could be one of the best in the world. Um, and again, by the way, spoiler, I shoot my broadcast partner for uh, Combate America's event. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. Um, Holly Holm beat the breaks off of Irina Aldana. And it was really the best she's ever looked at 39, 38, 39 years old. So I think for that division at 135 pounds, women, you got to go. Um, Holly Holm versus Jermaine Durandamy. That's the rematch. Winner of that fights the title, and it, which will inevitably effectively be a rematch against Amanda Nunes. And if it's Holly Holm, you got a legit shot there. I think Jermaine Durandamy, that fight probably won't happen because that was only two title fights ago. But I think it's worth a shot and either one has shown improvement. So, you know, if you're Nunes and you want to stay active and not retire, you're going to have to start beating people again because there's just not a lot of depth. So I think that's the fight to make. You put that on the undercard of the, I believe, December card um, when Nunes is fighting Megan, uh, Megan Anderson next. But, um, but I guess we'll find out from there. Um, guys, that's all for this week. I apologize again for last week's uh uh, last week's absence and uh, i apologize for the dating portion delay this week but we'll get back on track there i just you know i gotta improve right so i rattled all this mma analysis off pretty much with with no prep whatsoever just that i kind of organized my thoughts which is a good thing right i know my shit but when it's dating i, I needed to kind of bring a little bit of a different um preparation for it just so i can speak just as intelligently right? So I hope you guys are enjoying this. I appreciate all your support. I appreciate you guys asking me where the podcast is. That's great. I'm glad you guys are listening so, so intently. And um, I'll be back next week for the next episode of Love and the Fighter.